This is Podcast Radio. I'm Mark Pendergast. And when it comes to great athletes and great Paralympians, nobody is up there like Kadena Cox. Gold medals in both athletics and cycling, she is a unique athlete. Originally an able-bodied athlete, until a stroke in 2014 led to multiple sclerosis just a year later. Kadena was an able-bodied elite-level athlete. She was training with the likes of Dina Asher-Smith and various other people who go on to represent Britain at the Olympics. But her story didn't finish once she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It was only just beginning. What followed, and what continues to be a hugely successful career, has led to recognition on the Paralympic podium and recognition off it. You've probably seen her in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. You may have even seen her in Bake Off. And this four-time gold-winning Paralympian produces times like 12.98 in a 100-metre sprint. It's more than most able-bodied people could do. And for her, that has advantages and disadvantages. Because when you're disabled, and it's not strictly visible, you're not always in a wheelchair, it's not obvious what your disability is, it can lead to prejudice. And for Kadena, this has been a continuing problem. Research by Booper has said that over 80% of people who don't have a visible disability have been questioned about their disability. Whether it's for parking spaces, whether they should have that seat on the train, or just disapproving looks from people. So for Kadena and many others, this is a continued battle, and she's here to raise awareness of it. Welcome to Podcast Radio Kadena, and as I just mentioned, these numbers are truly shocking, aren't they? Yeah, I like the numbers, and I think that's why it's great that this research has been done by Beaver and Scope because actually, I think those numbers, when people hear that, they'll be like surprised, and it might allow them to like challenge themselves on what they're being, what they're saying, and whether they're making comments. Because as a person with a disability that isn't always visible, like I get challenged, you know, I'll park in a disabled spot, and people are like can't park there; it's for disabled people. I'm like, mate, I ain't even got out of the car yet. I could be missing legs. My wheelchair's in the back. You don't know. So it is hard like, to be, be challenged on that. And the research also showed that 63% of people with a less visible condition, it impact, negatively impacts their mental health. So people are struggling with their mental health because of all comments that people are making. If we can allow people to have a little bit more understanding and not comment on impairments with, without even knowing, that could have a significant impact on people's quality of life. I mean, it's saying here that 68% of people with a disability have been told, you don't look disabled. How does that feel when that happens? Um, I'm just like, what does a disability look like? I, I remember pulling up to, I pulled up to a, a big sporting stadium and I said, can I park in here? I've, I've got a blue badge. And they kind of were like, oh, can you show us the blue badge? And I was like, okay. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to have to get my, uh, my supervisor. And they didn't believe the picture on the, uh, the pass was me and that I was the person that owned the disabled badge and I was like I haven't even gotten out of the car yet like for all my legs literally do not work I've got hand controls on my car so you literally you wouldn't know like whether I can move on and I'm like how can you like have this prejudice against me without even without even knowing so it's it's shocking that people have this thought and it really does need to change it is something isn't it that people seem to think they've got it's their job to judge well, you don't look this bit. I just think maybe it's a little bit of when we see signs for disabled people, we always see a sign with somebody in a wheelchair. Is that the perception that needs to change? Yeah, I think that has been that that was the sign, you know, for so many years. And now there's obviously like on some doors you get signs that say not all in illnesses are visible. But people connect disabilities to the to the wheelchair. And even like I post on like social media like TikTok and Instagram all the time with me getting out of my wheelchair. 
Because people seem to not realise that not all people in wheelchairs are paralysed. Like some people can walk, some people have still have movement. When you get ambulatory wheelchair users that don't always use their chair. So it is people just having that understanding because disabilities aren't all the same. I feel like my little brother and sister are really lucky. They were six and eight when I gained my disability. They have a really good understanding of disabilities. I mean, my sister used to use a very non-PC word. She'd be like, oh, you're having a moment again, which some people would take offensively, but she was a six-year-old kid and that was her understanding of it. And that for me was fine because I was like, she's got an understanding of knowing like that my, my disability changes and that's why I go into schools and a lot of my other fellow Paralympians will go into schools because I think you know kids when they're young if they get that understanding from a young age then when they get older then it's not going to be a taboo subject they're not going to be afraid to say something and they're not going to just pass judgment without even asking the question and taking time to understand the conditions. And for you you've had both sides of the coin if you like because Prior to your stroke and then onset of multiple sclerosis you, you were an elite athlete in your own right in, in able body sport weren't you? Yeah, I know. So yeah, I, I went through the, the group rankings with the, the likes of Dean Asher-Smith, Ashley Nelson, Zimali Lansko, like all those girls, I went through the rankings with them as an able-bodied athlete. So I, I grew up able-bodied and that's probably why it was so surprising to see the, the impact having a disability have on you and the prejudice that you face, even when it comes to the way you're treated as an athlete and kind of the way brands treat you as an athlete. And for me, part of the issue is I don't have a visible illness. And that means essentially getting a deal as a disabled athlete with some brands, it's about a tick box. And if you don't have a visible illness, if you're not in a wheelchair, you're not of short stature, you don't have a limb missing, then they're not that interested, unfortunately. Wow. Like, I don't look disabled and, and that that's a problem. That's a prejudice from big brands. And like that's why it was great while like, um, I'm a celebrity and MasterChef had me on because I was able to showcase that and they were able to help me showcase that not all illnesses are visible and they really wanted to allow me to highlight the, the things that I, I struggle with while also showcasing to the rest of the world that not all disabilities are visible. So it, it was great to have those opportunities. How was that? Because obviously you 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 have the stroke and then you've, you're diagnosed with MS and you've got all that to deal with, the, the physical problems. But was that a, a bolt from the blue, a shock when you, you're sort of dealing with prejudices as well? Yeah, 100%. Like, I I knew I was going to have to have the challenges of not knowing when I was might might lose total leg function, whether my spasms are going to be really bad today, whether my pain's going to be really bad, whether my bladder was going to stop working. Like, all these little things that I knew of with MS. Like, as a 23-year-old, you don't want to be thinking about the fact that you might be incontinent. So these are things that I was like, oh, my God, am I going to have to struggle with this? I didn't think I'd have to struggle with the fact that people were going to be like, oh, she's not disabled. Oh, you shouldn't be in that spot. Oh, you you, you, you must be faking it. Oh, you're stealing money from the EWP. Like, I didn't expect all these comments because I didn't ask for my disability. Like, so why would I fake it? So, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's a hard pill to swallow having to face those challenges. And in terms of sport through your life, obviously you were an elite athlete and then you had your stroke and then you move into a Paralympic sport. Is that the one thing, the one thread you've had the whole time that you hung on to? Did you think to yourself, well, I'm an athlete and I'm going to go back to that? Is it the core of you, if you like? Yeah, 100%. I think as sport safe, I think as an athlete, any athlete will know, like, you live your life, but, like, you have goals, like, you set goals, like, you have the next challenge that you want to overcome, like, you want to, you want to hit this time, you want to be able to improve your, your drive transition, you want to improve your gate to start, like, and the timing gate out of the gate, cyclists to know what I want about. So there's all these little things that you kind of, you have goals. So I, I, when I was laid in my hospital bed, I was like, well, 
I need to set goals. So I had a target of being able, so I was diagnosed in September 2014 and my target was to race on the 4th of January 2015. So I had to set goals to be able to get me back walking, be able to walk in the house, get up the stairs, like all these little things to get me to that point. And I started fundraising two days after my diagnosis because I was like, I'm, I, I want to be back to being a runner. Like that, that is me at the core. Like I've always been a sporty person. So I set these targets and that's kind of what's helped, helped me get through. And somehow I fell in cycling along the way and I've then become I, th I think at the core I am now this athlete that does two sports and I, I feel like since having my disability like I had to mourn the old version of Kadena because she's gone but the new version is pretty cool and I, I think entwined into who I am is the Kadena Cox two sports mess comes as a secondary thing so I don't like being defined by my disability. I mean that was pretty smart that was kind of a a belt and braces approach wasn't it you, you decided to go into cycling as as well as sprinting and to cover both bases because in case you couldn't do one or one or the other yeah so actually i couldn't i couldn't run very effectively when i was first diagnosed i my balance was so bad i used to always fall over so i just started training on a stationary bike because a lot of runners will use it as a cross training tool when they're injured so i started training on cross on a, on a bike ended up having pretty decent power so we spoke to british cycling who were really excited about having and i did them both for a year thinking i'd get onto the british team for one of them and then yeah ended up on the british team for both and i was actually asked to make a decision and the, the decision actually was cycling at the time i'm very glad that i managed to convince my head coaches to uh, allow me to do both because now I, i'm able to do something pretty cool how does that work because obviously you go to the paralympics you've got sort of British cycling if you like and then the, the athletics teams say right you're going to do this on this day that on that day be there for this meeting how are you spinning plates doing both <laughs> it's actually really fun it started out quite hard because I basically had two coaches that thought I was on two separate programs who were great but yeah they <laughs> they didn't work very effectively together whereas now we've got a great multidisciplinary team and we have meetings like monthly we have catch-ups so when you get to a game it's actually really simple because of the way tokyo was i was staying in the, the cycling village which was about three hours away from where the main village but my cycling team just were aware of kind of what we had to do for the athletic side so my physio because of where i was i actually had to train on a golf course for my running and the cycling physio would get up and do my kind of the stuff i needed for my athletics at five in the morning because the only time we were allowed to use the the golf course was at five thirty. so the my athletics physio would go and do those bits I mean, my cycling physio would do the athletics video and then my cycling coach would actually come with me to the, the golf course and assist me in my my training for my athletics. And then we'd go to the velodrome and do my velodrome cycling. And then when I headed across to the to the main village, um, the, the same would happen the other way. So actually, you, you say that there is a lot of spinning the plates, but actually it goes above me. And the team behind the team, which I always say is the most important team, they actually do a lot of the work for me and it kind of takes that load off me. So... All I've got to do is go out there and run fast and cycle fast. Did you go into 2016 thinking maybe the back of your mind, maybe you didn't say it to people, I'm going to get gold in both of it? I'm always so like, maybe I, I'm always, I, I'm so hard on myself. Because I remember in, when, we, when we went to Rio in 2016, I was getting off the play, plane and Adam Hills was there from the last leg. And I said to him, I said, oh, give me a shout out on the last leg. Like, because I literally loved the last leg in 2012. And I was like, give me a shout out. And he tells me his story and he says in his head, he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because they've basically like already been like told like what I was going to achieve out there, like what was I was capable of. But I just was like, so in my own, own world that I think didn't think I was going to do anything special. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go run and cycle. But they already like had plans. They were already very aware of what I was going to achieve. Whereas I was just like, 
I'm just going to go out there and enjoy my performances and kind of whatever happens, happens. I'm one of those championship performers and a lot of people are like, oh, how do you manage to do that? Because I can literally drop like half a second to a second at a championships. I think it, in Tokyo, over my 400 metres, I dropped six seconds, which I don't even know how I did that. That is outrageous. But I'm just a championship performer and I, I love performing and I raise my game. So I always know I'm going to get there or be there about. But I, yeah, I'm not necessarily always sure, sure I'm going to go out there and smash it. I mean, that's interesting that Adam Hills is sort of raising an eyebrow to you, saying, a mention, we've got a 20-minute feature planned, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what are the plans for the future then? You've got many a gold medal. Is it a bigger mantelpiece to put them on? What's the plans? It's, it's an exciting few years. Like, I'm actually spending the time focusing a lot just on my sport because, yeah, I didn't quite achieve what I wanted to in Tokyo last year, so I really want to make sure I nail Paris. So... I've got my cycling world championships in two weeks time which should be really exciting next year i've got i think there's like two weeks between my athletics and cycling world championships but i want to make sure i get gold in both of those across various different events i'm not sure of all of them yet because of the timetabling but then yeah 2024 20, i want to go out and i i want to my aim is to go out there and perform to my best but i'd love to come back with a gold medal in every event that i perform in and then i can consider retiring i'm getting old guys <laughs> Come on. I think, I've got a feeling you're talking about Adam Hills there. Surely you've got one eye on a media career after that. I, ha- I have been doing a few bits and pieces. I did some punditry stuff at the Commonwealth Games because I wasn't able to compete. I'm doing a few bits and pieces. Like, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the other side, but I'm not quite ready for it yet. Come on. I, I've got a feeling you mentioned, you said to Adam Hills, I want a shout out. You end up with a feature. You've got to be on that show and eventually taking Adam Hill's place, surely. Oh, I'm going to steal Adam Hill's spot. <laughs> That's I, the plan. I, I, tell him that. <laughs> I don't think I'm as funny as him, but I would love to have an opportunity to do something like that. Like having a show that yeah, I'm hosting would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Karina Cox there on Podcast Radio, four times gold medal winner at the Paralympics across two sports, cycling and sprinting. And let's add to that, Four gold medal winning championships across both sports. A true champion athlete and maybe a future presenter here on Podcast Radio. I'm Mark Pendergast and this is Podcast Radio. Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.